of the Building a Bonus Success Series. Our primetime mastermind that promotes empowered focus, decisive action, and inspired outcome. Here's part two of my interview with Dr. Joe Rubino, one of the world's leading authorities on self-esteem maximization. He's the CEO of the Center for Personal Reinvention and has been recently featured in the movie The Opus. His goal is to impact the lives of more than 50 million people to live an awesome life, to maximize their happiness, self-esteem, communication skills, productivity, and personal effectiveness. Enjoy this. Wow. And what if we can't recall an early upset, you know, an upsetting event or or happening? What if we can't, and I'm sure subconscious and unconsciously, that can happen, right? Oh, absolutely. You know, a lot of us can't remember an early upset in our lives, and it doesn't matter because we've gone and we've relived that same upset over and over again. So all we have to do is look at the last time there was a significant upset in our lives. What did we make up about ourselves? What did we make up about the other person who was supposedly causing the upset? And what did we make up about the world in general? So we can look at the earlier, you know, an upset earlier today. Uh, if your mood is indignant anger like mine is, because remember I, I was used as a football, um, I will scan for opportunities to make up that I'm angry or to, to feel that, that addiction. So someone cuts me off in traffic, how dare you? Uh, someone smokes in a restaurant, how dare you? It doesn't matter what they do. It's my, it's my, un, un, uh, it's my conditioned response. And if I don't recognize the mood and re- uh, decide to release that anger and then reinterpret what went on in a way that has no anger associated with it, then, you know, I get to be angry, I get to lash out, I get to uh, ruin my relationships, I get to do all of the things that are the result of acting from one's mood as opposed to one's commitments. Well, I... I understand that perfection, you know, many of us are into that perfection mode. How does this keep us stuck? Well, when we look around us and we see that there are all sorts of examples of people who are smarter than we are, who are prettier than we are, who are more athletic and charismatic and and wealthier and just have so much more going than we do. And remember, we are our harshest critic. What this is, is is it's a setup for invalidation because we can always find ways to invalidate ourselves. We can always find ways to compare ourselves negatively to others and to find ways to beat ourselves up for not being good enough or or worthy in some way. And so when we have this uh, per, this obsession with perfection, what it means is that we can never be perfect. So rather than just being happy with being excellent, it drives us constantly to be perfect in a way where there's no rest for us. There's no satisfaction. So that no matter what we achieve, no matter how much money we make, no matter what position we achieve in life with our our occupation or our business, no matter how many awards we're given, it, it always is never enough. We always need to stretch further to achieve that perfect state, which, of course, is unachievable, and so it's a setup for constant invalidation. Wow. That's something I can relate to. I wasn't um, 
in my my healing, uh, trying to be perfect as a child, I was just trying to be like everyone else. When uh, let me tell you, but I um, would go to school like other kids. But after school was over, I had medical treatments, and it was probably more than half my life. I mean, because you're only spending a certain amount of time, you know, about six hours or so in school, and we traveled a lot. I was an army brat. And when you're saying this perfectionism, I'm in the military when you're raised with a military mindset. My thing was always finding something to do to take me away from the hospital setting. Yeah, I had my friends there. Yeah, I had, you know, great times when I was there. But I was also seeing my friends pass away. So I wanted to ask this question as it relates to perfection. Does that also include those of us who just stay so busy? So we don't have to think about how you know what's going on around us. That's sure. how I dealt with it. Busyness is just one way to numb out and distract ourselves. Drugs and alcohol and any addictive behavior is the same, where we can't deal with what we've decided is so, and so we look for ways to distract ourselves. Uh, workaholism is the same. Uh, sex addiction is the same. Doesn't really matter what the addiction is. They're all ways to numb out and to distract ourselves from the pain of what we've made up that is so in our lives. And, of course, we made whatever our reality is. We've generated it. We've created it. We've attracted it. And so it need not be our reality if we can learn to attract what we, what we want as opposed to uh, what we have attracted at this point. Well, how do we escape from these feelings of being unworthy? I mean, how do we do that? Well, we, we start to be rigorous with interpretations, with managing our emotional states. So the process is basically to recognize the mood. The mood is the red flag. So, for example, when you recognize, what, what is your emotional predominant mood? Is it anger, sadness, or fear, or one of those versions? One way for you to break out of that would be to reinterpret your life with respect to the hospital. So what kind of interpretation can you create about going there that has no sadness attached to it? People are getting well. Babies are being born. Um, yes. Lives are being changed for the better, right? Lives are being, my life is being, I could probably do that affirmation, my life is being changed for the better. I'm still here. Yes. <laughs> yes. And I take and that so. for granted sometimes. You know? Right, so. and as we all do. And, uh-huh. you know, you, you bring up a great point that one great antidote for fear and for sadness and for anger is gratitude. If we can look for reasons to be grateful, we can shift out of our predominant mood and our predominant interpretations that land us in the soup because we're typically not grateful. We're typically complainers. We all are. We all see the the glass as half full or, or less as opposed to uh, as a uh, uh, you know, half empty as opposed to half full, I should say. And it's because of the fact that it makes us feel th- that that emotional tug. It makes us feel like we're victims. It makes us feel sorry for ourselves and sorry for other people so that we can't be our best pe- when we're in that funk. And perhaps for you, it allows you to, uh, you know, feel sorry for all these people that you lose, feel sorry for yourself, that you have to go there. You know, whatever... That, that is for you. The negative self-talk that so many of us deal with daily, how do we um, deal with this negativity and stop that noise in our heads? 
Well, there, there's two ways. First of all, we can start to surround ourselves with positivity. We can surround ourselves with people who nurture us and champion us as opposed to people who abuse us and people who detract from, from our happiness. So we get to teach people how they are to be around us. It's kind of like a dance where if I change my dance step, you need to change yours if you're going to continue to dance with me. And when we can take responsibility for what shows up in our lives, and it can be as simple as you know, limiting our exposure to negativity. The news for, is a great example of that negativity. Uh, we can limit our exposure to, to toxic people, to people who like to be in the midst of suffering and anguish. We can limit our exposure to uh, people who who don't share the same uplifting values that we have. So that's one way for us to start to put positive flow into our into our consciousness. The other thing that we can do is we can start to get really good at recognizing the negative self-talk and differentiating it from the voice of our intuition because our intuition is a function of our higher selves. It's, it's a function of who we really are, and it's always accurate, whereas our negative self-talk is a function of one of those three emotional states. It's anger or sadness or fear, and it comes out of that little gremlin on our shoulder trying to protect us from being hurt because that is the job of our negative self-talker because we were hurt and now he or she is going to tell us, now be careful because you don't belong there and you're going to get hurt. Be careful about risking because you know what happens when you risk. You know, you fall down. Be careful about that person because you know what people like that do to you. And we have this constant negative self-talk going on, which is all... It's well-intentioned, and it's trying to protect us, but we don't recognize the fact that it's negative. We don't recognize the fact that we have the ability to control that voice. And so the, the way that we can deal most effectively with it is to recognize the mood, recognize when, it's, when, we, when we have the negative self-talk and it puts us into that emotional funk, the anger, the sadness, or the fear. We can then separate out what happened, what did someone say or do, what, what, what is the fear that we have that diminished our self-esteem, that diminished our relationships, that allowed us to detra- detach from people as opposed to connect with them? And we can create a new interpretation that champions us, that champions our relationships, that has us feel uplifted and worthy and moving forward. We can look again at what we have to be grateful for as opposed to what the negatives are in our lives. So it's really a matter of being more aware because awareness is 50% of the battle. When we can be aware of the, the fact that that negative self-talker is telling us a bunch of rubbish, and it's not who we are, it's not our intuition, it's a voice outside of ourselves trying to protect us from a fear that is perceived but not real. So when we can actually separate out what happened from what we made up about what happened, we now have a really newfound ability to move our lives forward in a way that supports us and and is without the the pull of one of those negative emotions and also we we constantly uh can be in control of of our future as opposed to being at the effect of that negative self-talk. I wanted to ask you in that negative self-talk um there's another um uh well, where does arrogance and and a pompous attitude come from? Is that that in the three you're talking about the sadness, the anger, the fear? Where does that come from? Because some people, 
they just think so highly of themselves, and they really convey that you should too. And I don't mean in a healthy way. <laughs> I understand. And you know, Sabrina Marie, a lot of people confuse self-esteem with ego. My definition of, of self-esteem has to do with not only feeling personal power, your ability to influence others, being significant, and that's our ability to be accepted and have the attention and the affection of others, being virtuous, how we feel about ourselves morally, that we're a good person, and competence, our ability to produce a result and be in control of our lives. Uh, but it also not only in- involves ourselves, but it involves our ability to be effective with other people, our ability to have empathy for other people and to put ourselves in their shoes and to be effective in our relationships. So someone who is arrogant is feeling not so good about themselves. It's the whole bully syndrome where, you know, I'll get you before you get me, and if I can be wittier than you and cut you down or if I could be uh, arrogant and not need you, then I'm protecting myself. But that is all built upon the assumption that there's a, there's a dangerous relationship going on here or there's some danger that I have to protect myself from. So it's really important to recognize that the arrogance is not high self-esteem. It's, it's ego, and the ego is trying to protect itself from more harm and more hurt by going on the offensive. Wow. So it's, it's, it's part of anger. Yeah. You know, or, it, fe- or fear. It, it could be part of any of the three emotions, actually, because, you know, a lot of these... Um, egomaniacs, a lot of these bullies, a lot of the, the arrogant people, they're really very sad inside, too. And, and the act, the facade that they're putting on is to protect themselves from harm and from hurt. And so, you know, you get to see the outside act that is concealing something that they don't want you to know about them. And that could be fear, it could be sadness, it could be anger, it could be that they're not good enough so that if they make you feel like you're not good enough, they feel a little bit better because now someone's in worse shape than they are. 